welcome to Luxury On Air, where we explore the trends, innovations, and personalities defining and redefining the luxury industry. Dear Luxury On Air friends, a big welcome to a new episode of our podcast about luxury topics and trends in industry and academia. My name is Michael Crump, Head of Research of Deloitte Switzerland, and I will be your host today. If you're wondering where our two other charming hosts, Karine and Felicitas, are, well, one of them is my interview guest today, and my line goes now to the beautiful city of Geneva, and I welcome Karine Segetti and Jules Boudron to our show. Hi, Karine. Hi, Jules. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having us. Hi, Michael. Karine Schül, you're both working for Deloitte and you have been active for many years in the luxury industry. On top of that, you both are the authors of the well-known Deloitte Watch Industry Study. Not only the authors, you both basically invented the study many years ago and you just released the eight editions of the Watch Study. And we will discuss the most interesting results, trends and conclusions today. But my first question is a more personal one. So how many watches do you own? And do you have yeah, a very special one that you either like very much or that has a special story or meaning for you? So maybe Karine, you first. Well, I do own a lot of watches. Thanks for asking, Michael. Um, I have uh, more or less four luxury watches. I have a lot of uh, Swiss entry-level watches. I have a lot of plastic swatches as well that I collected since I was young. Um, well, uh, watches are often linked to an anniversary or to an achievement. So that's, that's often that, uh, the way that I have been rewarded or have rewarded myself. And um, now I'm looking to buying a watch that is more linked to sustainability and have, has, have such a feature. So that will be my next purchase. Excellent. So sustainability will be an important topic a little bit later. But Jules, do you have any special watches or how many do you own? Online also, uh, I have a few uh, luxury watches. I mean, four uh, actually, and uh, and also some uh, some swatches from uh, from my young years. Uh, and I think maybe one that has a particular story uh, is one uh, luxury watch that I won actually two years ago at uh, at a draw at the end of a golf competition. It was it was pure luck. It was not uh, because of my good golf uh, skills because I would have never won a, a watch with that. Uh, so yeah, this one is a, has a nice story because uh, it was a really pure luck. There were 80 participants and, and I was drawn. So. Oh, very good. So you surveyed almost 70 senior executives from the watch industry. You interviewed industry experts and you ran an online survey of over 5,000 consumers in countries like China, France, Germany, Hong Kong, US, Japan, the UK and others. And you did this one year after the pandemic hit the industry very hard. So how is the mood in the watch industry at the moment? Are the good times back? Uh, yeah, we can say the, the good times uh, are back. The, the respondents of the study are, are much more positive than they were last year, uh, almost 80% of them. Uh, and overall, I mean, the industry is performing better, but mainly uh, in the mechanical segment and the high-end segment. Uh, and actually the respondents of the study uh, see growth mainly uh, and actually only in the watches above 5,000 Swiss francs uh, over the next 12 months. So good times are back for some brands and, uh, and uh, the high-end segments, but the, the low-end uh, entry-level uh, continues to suffer. So the entry-level is still suffering, but uh, the high-end are doing quite fine. So where do you see currently the biggest concerns in the industry, also based on the study, but of course also based on your experience and talks with professionals? 
Well, actually, the biggest fear of the industry is also related to that reduction in volume uh, in the entry level. Uh, the quartzwatches have been hit quite hard by the smartwatches over the, the past uh, seven, eight years, uh, and they decreased a lot in volume. And the industry, in the meantime, has focused much more on the on the high-end uh, mechanical watches. Uh, and most of the people we interview uh, see a risk that uh, that this reduction in volume could be uh, uh, could harm the industry, uh, reducing the know-how uh, and the qualified people that, that that working in the in the industry because the, the higher end uh, means lower volume uh, and uh, and so it, it could uh, have an impact on, on the overall industry so that's one of the of the concerns then the other concerns are more external factors uh, like we experienced last year with with the pandemic uh, and that also uh, in 2019 there were some you know geopolitical risks as well in France, uh, in Hong Kong, with the, the protests uh, and the yellow vest. So all these factors could have an impact on, on the industry. Uh, but so far this year, I mean, uh, it's mainly the, the reduction of volumes in the entry level that remains a concern. Uh, the brands are in the high end, continue to perform well and, and have a stronger growth potential. Okay, so geographical risks uh, impacted many other industries as well. That's correct. Mm -hmm. So we see also a lot of concentration going on in the industry. So, Jules, I mean, you are working very closely uh, regarding those developments. So what is your view on that? Well, clearly, the, the industry over the, the past years uh, has been uh, concentrating on, on a small number of brands, uh, large brands being independent of part of, of groups. There's also some smaller independent brands which are performing very well uh, and, and uh, differentiating themselves from a, a crowd of over uh, 400 Swiss watch brands. So there's a clear uh, concentration on that, uh, these brands uh, and the high-end mechanical segment in the sector. It's affecting the entry level uh, and also has a direct impact on the, on the suppliers. So the suppliers who are working for the big brands and on specific components in the high-end segment, uh, they were performing better before the, the pandemic uh, and they fared better during the pandemic because the, the brands they worked for uh, were the, less, the ones less affected. Uh, and the other ones which were already suffering uh, before the pandemic, which were more in the low end uh, entry level uh, and also medium price, medium range price point, uh, uh, I mean, was a bit more difficult time for them. Uh, and clearly, the, the growth this year has been uh, also mainly in the mechanical watches in the iron segment. And so the, the subcontractors that were working for these brands uh, were the, the ones benefiting the most from this growth, uh, and the other one continued to suffer. Where does the industry see then also the biggest growth opportunity? So maybe first in terms of geography and markets. So is it still China like in the last years? Yeah, China remains uh, the, the country where the, there's the most uh, growth uh, prospects. Uh, actually, the, uh, the respondents of the study uh, uh, see strong growth uh, in China uh, and uh, they also see uh, quite some good growth uh, in the US, which remains a very important market. So it's a mature market, but uh, which remains uh, important. And there's going to be uh, also some growth there. Um, in Europe, uh, it's expected to remain uh, more flat uh, over the next year. So yeah, growth is mainly going to come from uh, from China uh, and also from the US, which have been the, the two countries performing uh, best uh, so far this year. And do you see also other important growth topics? So the important growth topics are mainly the development of online sales. Uh, this uh, has been accelerated quite a lot uh, last year uh, with the pandemic. Uh, it, it still represents a small portion of the sales for, for most of the watch brands, uh, but it's developing. Uh, most of them have to adapt to this, uh, this changing uh, uh, 
uh, landscape. And um, and so there's strong growth potential for them uh, to, to improve their, their sales uh, either directly with their e-commerce uh, sites or also via e-wholesalers, which are developing as well. Then another uh, important growth topic uh, would be the, the pre owned watch market, uh, which brings opportunities for the brands to introduce uh, new uh, clients to their brands and also to uh, to continue grow uh, sales of new watches via trading programs that they could put uh, in place. So these are two uh, interesting factors. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, the, we see uh, more growth in the in the high-end mechanical segment also in the future. So this should continue to, to drive growth of the market. Um, yeah. Okay. In in the report, it was mentioned that uh, the Chinese consumers were very important during the recent recovery phase. Let's focus a little bit more on the consumer side. So, what general consumer behaviors and trends do you see? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, we have been now asking consumers in eleven countries, and very. I think the consumer findings are very interesting, because one of the the questions that I, I really wanted to ask them is, what are you uh, what are you wearing when you buy? What are you wearing during the day when you wear a watch? Is it a traditional watch? Is it a smart watch? Is it both of them? And um, because we see, as you as you know, more and more smart watches on the wrists, and here as well, we see that the consumers. Um, Still, most of the consumers are wearing a traditional watch, meaning uh, 34% out of down from 42% last year. But we see a lot of consumers now wearing both a smartwatch and a traditional watch. We didn't ask the question at the same time, uh, but we see that in the end, one out of five consumers are, be, are, are wearing a traditional watch and a smartwatch, meaning that the smartwatches are really embedded now in, in the watch industry. Of course, we, we were trying to understand how they are influenced. Um, and, and we see that, of course, social medias and influencers are and, and, and brand ambassadors are becoming more and more important. Um, we know from our other studies as well that consumers are highly influenced by what they see and hear on social medias and from their friends when they are, are purchasing. And we've asked as well the consumers um, where how much they would spend uh, in the next 12 months for a, for a watch purchase. And we see that in some countries they are much more conservative, um, like Germany, for example, they have the, they would spend the least on a luxury watch. And then other countries, like mostly in Asia, where they are much more open to spend more for a luxury watch. Um, what can I what else can I say on consumer behavior? I think, interestingly as well, we were asking, uh, when you buy a watch, um, do you buy the watch for yourself? Do you buy it to, to make a gift? Or do you buy as well now to to invest or to trade because we see more and more you know that you, when you buy a watch it's not only for yourself or for gifting as it was historically but the and the pre-owned market we will speak about the pre-owned market later is becoming much more active and as such it's interesting as well to try to to start trading watches or to invest in watches as an alternative investment because it's more much more difficult to find um, alternative investments and as well, uh, we know that the interests are low if you, you put it in the bank. So I think um, quite, quite inter interesting findings on the consumer. And um, Michael, if you allow, maybe we can speak a bit more about the Chinese consumer as well. Yes, happy to do that. So um, please go, go on. So if you would like to focus a little bit more on the Chinese consumer. So what do you, did you find out, especially around? Um, looking at the consumer results and as well, um, looking at our Chinese practice where Deloitte is present, we have tried to analyze the Chinese consumer. And Chinese consumer of luxury watches is getting younger and younger. I mean, um, 
in line as well with the luxury consumers, of course, that that, that buy jewelry or, or fashion. Um, but we see the average age being much lower than in, in other jurisdictions for luxury watches. And the Chinese consumer as well is the one that is willing to spend the most on a watch. For example, one out of five would spend 2,500 to 3,000 Swiss franc equivalent in the next 12 months to buy a watch. And one quarter would even spend from five to 10,000 Swiss francs to buy a luxury watch, which is huge. But status symbols, of course, is very important. And we know as well that the Chinese consumer is very open to new retail concepts. So for example, I mean, you know, that in China, that the shopping festivals that they buy very easily from WeChat on social media, um, that they are ready to experience, uh, for example, watch rentals much, much more easily. They have mini apps that they can use. And as well, uh, e-auctions are becoming more and more popular to acquire uh, a watch from the primary, but as well from the secondary market. Um, other findings, of course, the key opinion leaders and key opinion consumers are very important for the buying decisions of, of, of the Chinese consumers. And um, if you listen to the, the episode six of Luxury on Air with uh, Dr. Yajin Wang, she clearly spoke about that, of the importance of the KOLs and KOCs for the Chinese consumer, and as well that it brings some risks because you cannot always control the messaging that these um, KOLs and KOCs are giving to the market. So brands are adapting uh, to the Chinese market. We've asked the questions to watch executives if they have an active program to expand in China, if they have changed their, their strategy, because as you know, pre-pandemic, the Chinese consumer was already the most important consumer, but the Chinese consumer was traveling and was buying uh, watches mainly um, in Europe and other duty-free shopping destinations. Whereas now the Chinese consumer not traveling as much anymore uh, and could not travel for quite some months was um, buying in mainland China, which has now become market number one. So when we asked the questions to the watch executives, all of them have have said that they were adjusting, um, inspiring, and, and were really reacting to this um, changing purchasing location um, of, of the luxury watches. And maybe finally, um, when we ask the question, as mentioned before, do you wear a, a smartwatch, traditional watch, both or none? Uh, we see that in China, 49% wear both a smartwatch and a luxury watch, which is really high and shows as well that both categories have a very high um, accept acceptance in China. Okay, so that's a really great outlook. So you already mentioned, let's say, social media, the sales channels and the retail concepts. So we can deeper a little bit into the digitalization topic so digitalization especially in sales was only perceived as an yeah, let's say opportunity rather than a threat at a very late stage by many watch brands but this has changed so does digitalization continue really to accelerate the same path as we have seen in the last two or three years yes so clearly i mean this was uh, accelerated by, by the pandemic last year where i'm most of the of the boutiques were closed, so the brands had to adapt and to develop their, their e-commerce channels. We even saw some brands which are generally not selling online who accepted to, to sell online for a brief period. Uh, and more generally, I mean, the industry moved really to digital last year. Um, and uh, we, we, we think that it's going to continue. There's still growth potential there. Uh, most of the brands are, are doing now about uh, 5% of their sales uh, online and there's potential for them to go to up to 20% in, in the next years. So, so there's a strong growth potential there. 
uh, and this should continue to develop in all the price ranges uh, and all the different channels. So being the e-commerce sites of the brands, but also the wholesalers who are also developing their online sales quite, uh, quite heavily these past few years and, and should continue to do so in, in the coming years. So 5% at the moment, it's still quite low compared to, to other industries, of course, and you expect that it will go up to 20%. But do you think at some point in the time, we will see consumers buy more watches online than in the shops, so reaching really more than 50%, even in the high-end price segment, or do you think that won't happen? So there, I think, I mean, asking about uh, about this question specifically to the respondent, I mean, they still think the, the brick and mortar channel is going to be uh, the most important uh, in the next years. Uh, and that's something we see uh, a lot in the different uh, interviews and discussions we have, is that the, the omnichannel strategy remains very important. So online is driving growth, but it's also uh, done in conjunction with the brick and mortar. It's very important to have a, a coherent strategy between uh, the online uh, and uh, also the physical stores. Uh, they are very much interlinked, um, and so this should continue to be a, uh, a strong priority as well on, on the back-end mortar in the coming years. Uh, it's probably going to stay uh, uh, the, the main channel for, for the sale of watches because the clients, even if they are ready to buy online now at any price, uh, at any price tag, any segment, they also very often need to see the product, test the product. This is also a product that you really need to, to feel the, the, the physical uh, product to, uh, to test it and try it on. So it, it will remain an important, uh, an important part of the, of the sector. A very hot topic you already mentioned is the pre-owned market, so the market for second-hand watches. So in the past, the segment was mainly seen as a threat by the industry, but this has changed now, correct? Yeah, I think the, the pre-owned market is absolutely fascinating. Um, historically, the market was not very, very liquid. I mean, there were some auctions that happened twice a year by very um, prestigious auction houses. Um, but as e-commerce and online was not there, of course, it was much more difficult to buy already a pre-owned watch. Um, as Aurel Bax very well said again this morning, the pre-owned market has now, the pre-owned watches have become salonfähig, meaning that if 20 years ago you were saying, while you buy a pre-owned watch because you don't have the money to buy a, a, a new watch, uh, this has changed because a pre-owned watch, there are several reasons why to buy a pre-owned watch. It allows you for the watch lovers to buy a model of a certain year or that is very rare, that would not be available anymore on the primary markets. It allows as well maybe younger generation that has less financial means to access to, 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 a, to a brand that it would not be able to pay for at, on the primary market. It allows, as I mentioned, investments because the markets are going up and it allows as well uh, to do some trading and to, um, to, to just, I mean, if, you're, if, you, if you know the models that are, that are high and that might um, gain in value, you can even make some, some interesting um, transactions. Because as well, it has become so much digital. I mean, now you have e-auctions. Now you have actors such as watch finders or Watchbox, Chrono24, that are active on the pre-owned market. I mean, Watchbox is a technology company before being a watch seller. Um, it's really very well set up and allows um, easy contact between the, the actors and the brand itself. So I think um, a pre-owned has really become... Um, Part of the market, similar to what it is in the car industry, you tentatively buy a new watch while you trade in your old one. So te technology plays an important factor, I believe, in this uh, very positive development, especially the blockchain technology in the pre-owned market. So 
maybe you can explain to our listener why this is the case and why this is so important. Yeah, exactly. I think um, um, in the pre-owned markets, um, we speak often about CPO, so certified pre-owned. What is very important in the pre-owned market is to make sure that the, 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 pre, the pre-owned watch that you buy is a, a real watch. It's, it's, not, it's not a fake, which is, of course, a very big concern to the consumers. So the, the certification of the pre-owned watch can come either from the watch brand itself, if the, the watch is not too, too old, is not a vintage watch, because often they don't have the, the, the information anymore, or has to be reviewed by experts to get the certification. But blockchain uh, and the NFTs can help as well to, to get the certification um, by attaching the certificate to the watch. And it will follow the watch through a lifetime, meaning that when you do a service, you can add the information that the service has been done. When it changes owner, you can see who the new owner is and you, you will always have the information attached to the watch. So blockchain technology is still quite new in the watch industry. There is, of course, the question on the physical anchor is the NFT or the certificate only linked to the physical watch certificate or is it directly linked to the watch? There are several techniques to do a physical anchor. Some is by chip, some can be by, by a QR code or as well by very high resolution pictures that can identify the watch. Of course, luxury watches, no luxury watchmaker would accept a chip in their watch. So this is something that still needs to be um, maybe perfectionized. And there is a lot of lot of actors on the on the space currently that are, that are proposing a, a blockchain or NFT solution for watches. Um, but this there is already consortiums that are being built and we see that there's some, some kind of um, concentration now in the, in the watch industry going on. Um, the, the, the main brand that is offering any new watch now with a, a blockchain certificate is Breitling, where you buy a watch, you get the certificate, you can use it or not, but this is offered um, with every watch that you buy. You write in the study that circularity is an important motivation for younger consumers to buy pre-owned watches and the dynamism in the pre-owned market is and really closely linked to another hot topic in the industry that you mentioned before, it's sustainability. So in my opinion, there are not many products that are more sustainable than a mechanical watch, which is used for decades or often pass on to the next generation. But the issue I think is being addressed much more broadly in the industry. So what are the most important sustainability trends that you see at the moment? And you're so right, Michael, that you mentioned sustainability as being another reason why the pre-owned market is increasing, <laughs> increasing because you know that you're not using the, the natural resources that for on a new watch that has been built, but you are taking over a watch that has already been existed and been produced earlier. So sustainability is very important. And we see that uh, every year when we ask the question, how important is sustainability in your buying decision? These numbers go up year over year. Consumers are valuing sustainability. And sustainability can be uh, the way that the watch is produced, can be as well the, the, the material, uh, how it has been extracted, whether this is whether uh, there is leather or animal materials have been used. Now there is a lot of other ways to, to, do, to make straps without using leather. Um, uh, diamonds and gold, does it come from sustainable or um, certified sources? Um, and um, is, uh, is maybe potentially recycled material used as well for the watch, for the strap, or even for the packaging. Because in terms of packaging, I mean, a lot of brands already, they don't have any user manual anymore. You can look at it online. Um, the boxes are from recyclable um, uh, carton or paper or um, in order to really reduce uh, the impact on, on the environment. 
I think it's quite clear that sustainability will be the dominant theme for the next few years in the watch industry. But do you believe that it will also accelerate growth? Well, I think you cannot not consider sustainability currently in the luxury industry. Um, it is so pervasive and so important for the consumers. And most of the watch, watch, luxury, watch brands, luxury houses have now integrated sustainability in their internal strategy. It's part of the, 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 the KPIs of the company, sustainability reports and transparency. Sustainability reports are being issued, transparency is, is, is made, made present. And as it's the request of the consumer, there is no way out. If historically it was good to have, now it's becoming a must. So if you want to stay in the luxury industry, if you want to be relevant for the future generation for, for, for which it is not a good to have, but it's just, it has to be there, sustainability needs to be considered. So is it, to your question, with excellent growth, well, it will allow to still be here in 10 years time. Great, thanks a lot. So dear Karine, dear Jules, many thanks for this very interesting talk. Uh, the study you published is available at Deloitte's Swiss website, so www.deloitte.ch, and the listeners can find all details as well in the show notes of this episode. I wish you both all the best. Many thanks. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Luxury on Air with Karine Segeti and Felicitas Morhart. This podcast is provided to you by Deloitte Switzerland and the Swiss Center for Luxury Research. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can leave us a five-star review. If you're keen to stay up to date on what's trending in the luxury industry, don't forget to subscribe. As always, you can find more information about the current episode in the show notes. We wish you all the best. Until next time.